Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John Delano, and I'm the Communications Guy at Free Life Community Church in Terrell, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Ellis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in scripture which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available to you. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Welcome, Mecca. Welcome to those of you online. Uh, but I, I have to tell your friends, have any of you ever had an argument with God? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it doesn't go well. But you know God's so patient. And uh, he listens. Uh, and, and, y- and you know when you're, when you're making your argument that <laughs> you're, 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 you're not going to get anywhere. Because God has this way of making you see his sovereignty <laughs> while you're making the argument. But somehow we still press on. <laughs> and God says, well, I'll g- you're persistent. I'll give you that. You know, and, and, then, and then it's like, and he keeps going, yep, yep, yep. And then he says, you know, that persistence is amazing. If you would only be as persistent in your pursuit of my kingdom. Amen. <laughs> Yikes. And so I had this argument. I said, God, you know, you gave me this sermon series, and you just don't seem to want me to go back to it. God, when we go back to it, he goes, does it matter? <laughs> right? If you, will you, the question is, will you be obedient and, and bring messages that I give you? Have I ever failed you? And I went, <laughs> right? And you know you've got to be careful before you answer that. And I said, no, Lord, you never have. And he said, right. So what's the problem? He said, do you think that you know more about what your congregations and those online and those listening, whether it's today or a month or a year from now, do you, because that stuff's out there, do you think that you know more about what they need than I do? <laughs> oh, and the thing is, your, your humanness says, maybe. <laughs> and God says, right. And you're like, no, God. And then, so, you, you, you know you've lost the argument, but you'll still want to do things your way a little bit, and so you'll press on like you're going to, right? And then, and, then, and then God will say, you know, this isn't working. And friends, I have to tell you, I've had a really rotten week. Anybody? Uh, you know, and, and let me tell you why. I, I'm, I'm going to be straight up honest with you here. I'm telling you, with the misunderstandings, with certain issues that are going on, stuff that's been dragged out, COVID's to blame, sure, sort of, maybe not, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, I felt this week like Satan was sort of winning. He doesn't win the war, I know that, but, but every now and then, he, he, he seems like he's winning battles. And I was reminded of the battle that the Israelites had and, and Moses uh, really stupidly, actually, uh, raised up his staff, you know, and the Israelites were winning. And then he realized that God didn't tell him to do that, and so his arm got tired and he put it down. The Israelites were losing, <laughs> right? And so he had to have somebody prop him up, to hold his staff up, you know, because, you know, and the Bible says some, 
Sometimes they were winning and sometimes they were losing. And if Moses would have just been obedient and done what God told him, they'd have won the whole thing and never been losing at all. And you, you, you think about that and you think, okay. So when they were losing, were they losing soldiers? Yeah. <laughs> the actions of one man, the stupidity of one man who didn't talk to God before he did it caused the lives of people. Sometimes I don't know that we grasp the decisions we make or the things we do and what we don't do, how it affects people. Sometimes immediate and sometimes down the road. But this is the way things go. And I began to think about that and I realized, listen, Satan doesn't win the war. So what in the world am I worried about the battles for? God's fighting them anyway. Now, it feels like you're fighting them and sometimes you do, but God's with you when it happens, you know. And yet, even when God's with you, it feels like sometimes that Satan's winning the battle. But with God, you always win. It doesn't seem like it, but you do. And I have to tell you, friends, I, I, I'm grateful for, what do you think of this hard reset back here? You know, I have to tell you, it's different than, than what we've ever done, but that's kind of how I'm seeing things right now. And I think um, God's doing something. You're, you know, God, he takes things that Satan means for evil, and he uses them for good. Pastor Jonathan and I were talking about this morning just a little bit, and I have to tell you, uh, even with all this garbage that's happened and all this stuff in the in the rifts that's caused of people disagreeing with the government stuff and the elections and all that all these and there's more see stuff i don't even know about probably um and god is using things for good and it's it's i think we've seen a hard reset in the church we're going to have to change the way we do church every church is we're going to have to embrace the fact that there's going to be online church that's not going away whether we like it or not, or we think people shouldn't do it, they're going to do that. And if that's the only church they're willing to go to, then we ought to have it. You understand? I don't like it any more than you do. I think it's disobedient to a point. Okay? Especially if there's no reason for you not to go. If it's a convenience thing, you should be in church. But now, there are people that can't come because of COVID, and I get that. And so, we have to have church available to them. Amen? We really do. And I I even if people don't want to come because they like the convenience of home, again, if that's the only church they're going to have, then we ought to have it. I agree with Carrie Newoff. I agree with the people who are talking about it. It's, the face of the church is going to change. And, you know, again, we don't like change. But if the message of Christ can come out over the airwaves, praise God for the technology to do it. Because there, many years ago, before the Internet, we, we couldn't reach them at all. You couldn't have piped this in. You would have had, to, had an FM receiver, and we wouldn't have got approval, would we, Pastor Bob? Not for that length, he wouldn't. So here we are, and, you know, so hard reset. That's my theme for this year. What Satan meant for bad, God uses for good. And I think this has been a good thing. He's resetting the church, making us rethink our spirituality, rethink how we do church. We have to be effective, friends, not just externally, but internally. We have to be effective inside, and we haven't necessarily been effective inside. How can you be effective outside if you're not effective inside? And that's why God's giving me this message, and I want to share it with you today. It's called, Why We Need Spiritual Victory. And brother, we do. We need to have not more than, we need to have more than one, too. We need spiritual victories. A lot of them. You know why? Because there's a lot of battles. So turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Scroll down to verse 11. Boy, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm all over Romans right now. Romans is, has been sort of my go-to place as of late. Can't tell you why God keeps directing me there. 
and I'm telling myself, but you've, you've read this again and again. You know what's in that book. You know that's one of your favorites that Paul writes. You know that's your, and then you think, well, maybe Colossians is. Well, maybe Ephesians might be. You know, and so I'm thinking, all right, I like them all, <laughs> right? Because there's truth in every one of them because God put it there, okay? And so as I begin to think about this, I'm, I'm thinking the hard reset. I want to reset how we do our spiritual lives. Everybody has a cell phone just about, just about. And this, that's where this term comes from. It doesn't come from computers so much because you don't really do hard resets on computers because you just reinstall the software. But you, I guess you could do it on some. But on phones, all you have to do is hold your, your power button and your, if you're on an Android, your power button and your uh, up and down volume on any and reboot the phone and probably it'll give you the option to hard reset the phone back to factory value. It's called a ROM. That's what it does. I assume iPhone does similar things. Does it? I learned something today. Okay, so that's a hard reset. Now, do you lose? Well, yes, you lose some of your settings. But here's the deal. Here's what happens. But the reason you do a hard reset is there's something wrong, and it's not operating right. It's still a phone, but it's nearly a brick. If the phone, the apps don't run or something doesn't work, it's worthless. So you do a hard reset in the hope that it's just something in the software that's glitchy and you can fix it with a hard reset and put it back the way it ought to be. And I think in our spirituality, God's bringing us to that point because we've thought up all these things and ways to do church. We thought up all this thing, these things to do spirituality, to do Christianity. And God says, you know, we've gotten away. You've sort of gotten away from what I intended spirituality and Christianity to be. And so there's all these ideas out there about what being a Christian is, how churches ought to to operate, and what, you know, the whatnot about uh, social issues and that sort of thing. And there's just, with the same spirit of God in this, how can we be so separated, right? And so I begin to think about that, and I say, okay, God, you're doing a hard reset. You're doing a hard reset, and we're going to, and we're starting at the bottom. It's like, this is our Ebenezer. You understand what I mean by that? That's the lowest, your lowest point. That's your rock. Now you can build now. And sometimes, friends, God will bring you to your lowest point so he can build you. Amen. And I've gotten to the point where I start praying for people that way. I've even done it with my own children. When I know for a fact they're going down wrong paths, here's what I'll do. Lord, I know this is going to hurt, and then the last thing I want to do is see my children suffer, but I'm praying that you will bring them to the lowest point so that they see their need for you and the depth of what they need in you. And when you're willing to do that, now God can move. Now God can do something. And I would rather God bring them to their lowest point, to the Ebenezer, to the hard reset, and build them up rather than let them continue to falter along in wrong paths, beliefs, and and thoughts. Really, I would. And so I'm praying that right now. I've expanded it to people that I think the Lord is bringing to my mind that probably need a hard reset. And the church is going through it right now. I don't think I'm the only pastor speaking about it. And so here we are. God, what are you going to take this bad, and what are you going to do with the good? How are you going to do that? But I'm in, whatever you do, God. And and, and we're we're past that. We're starting to build now. We're starting to build now. People have stepped up in the church. We have people starting to filter back. We're starting to see, I don't know, it's going to be drawn out some, I think. But I I really believe victory is within our grasp. I think think we're going to have it. I do. 
I think we're going to have it. Because this, this battle is the Lord's. He's going to win. And if he returns before that, he wins. Amen? So Romans chapter 6, verse 11, pay particular attention uh, to verse 20. I'm going to repeat it, but this is amazing. I'm going to do the New Living Translation today uh, simply because, man, is this, is this pointed. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. Boy, you could have a message on that alone. Couldn't you? When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Of course, people don't believe that, but God's saying this true. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. And though there was no law to break, since it had not yet been given, they all died anyway. Even though they did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. What a contrast between Adam and Christ who was yet to come. What a difference, he says. What a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. But this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But we have the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Now, that ought to tell you how important Christ is. Right there. Amen? Uh, I, I think Mecca was louder than you guys. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight, and it gives them life. Amen, right? Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many people will be made right in God's sight. Hallelujah, right? Right? That's the difference between obedience and disobedience. That's the difference between victory and defeat. Do you understand that? Are you grasping this? You need to wake up and get this, kids. This is the real deal here. He said God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So we need to understand what he's saying. Because people sinned more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. Friends, we have to have more victory so that God doesn't have to keep offering us grace like that. We need to have victory and victory and victory. We are a victorious people simply because Christ came. We're a victorious people because we accepted what he offers. We're a victorious people because we defeated sin and death. And we're a victorious people because we're going to reign with him forever. He's not going to. The devil's not going to. He might be the ruler of this age, but he's not the ruler of the next one. He might rule this one, but he won't rule the next one. He might rule in your heart today, but he won't then. Do you understand? 
He may control the garbage that's happening in our, in our world, but he will be a forethought then. He gone. He gone. I love that phrase. For you White Sox fans, I think I might be the only one. For a number of years, that's what Hawk Harrelson said, he gone. When there'd be a strikeout. If a Sox pitcher would strike out somebody from the other side, he gone. I want you to remember that. Because see, I'm learning, I'm learning I got to give you these, these phrases. You might not be White Sox fans, but you can say, he gone. Right? Say it with me. When, when, when Christ did what he did, and you accepted, and you lived your life in the manner and way that he wants you to, you know, and then Christ comes again to take us home, he gone. He gone. You get to heaven, he gone. Right? This is good stuff, right? You can remember that, aren't you? See, I made you white socks fan. You didn't know it. You're like, no. Well, they're going to be pretty good this year, not so much for the other side. <laughs> oh, you Cub fans. All right. Friends, l l okay, you know I like to needle you a little bit like you like to needle me, and you know I like to have a little fun, but, but here's the deal. This is the nuts and bolts here now, okay? This sermon, I'm telling you, friends, this is, this is the bomb diggity. You know why it's the bomb diggity? Because God has given you some truths here he wants you to grasp, and he, he, there's something you can bite into and hold on to. He's, he's going to show you how this happens, you're going to be like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So you're aware. You see, there can never be a victory in the, Christ, in the Christian, nor can there be a victory in the church until we see the need for it. Right? This is almost incredible to me because we should never have to see <laughs> the need for victory <laughs> in our Christian lives or in the church. We should never have to see that. You know why? We should always know that there's a need for it. You just know that there's a need for it. Now, I say that understanding that people will never seek God nor have a desire for him until they see their need for him. You've heard me say that a lot. And I pray every single day that people that I specifically that I know that are running or struggling and for people I don't know that they would see their need for God. That's my prayer. But see, that always pertains to unbelievers when people don't see their need. Sometimes it pertains to Christians who are, their view is obscured. That happens. But someone who doesn't see their need for God at all, that's an unbeliever. That's an unbeliever, okay? Christians, though, already know their absolute need not only for God, but for spiritual victory. We should. Shouldn't Christians know? Why? Because we know that we are constantly in a battle against evil. Who, who knows that? Who knows that you're in a constant battle against evil? Mecca, are you raising your hands? Okay, people online, are you, do you know? Because if you don't know, I don't know what you're seeing. Because we're in a spiritual battle. We always are. And you can look back at life and say, you know, I didn't realize, but that was a spiritual battle. Most times, our struggles were spiritual battles. Whether we classified them that way or not, they were. And, and, and here's, here's what happens. This is never going to change. Nor is it ever going to go away. 
So Satan, if he can convince us that we're not in this spiritual battle, even if it's just temporary, then we have a serious problem. Because there's a lot of things that happen when you don't realize you're in a spiritual battle. And sometimes you don't know you're in a spiritual battle until you're dead in the thick of it. Have, have you noticed that? You, don't, it, you think you, you put all these reasons as to why you're going through this struggle, what's happening, and you don't grasp at the time that this is a spiritual battle until you're in the middle of it. Right? Anybody done that before? Yeah? You don't classify the spiritual until a little bit later on. And so here's what happens. We'll relax our spiritual defenses and readiness when we don't realize we're in a spiritual battle or we're heading toward one. We will relax our spiritual readiness and our defenses. You might want to write that down. Now, let's face it. That's already happened more times than we can count, but it should never happen. We should never drop our guard as it relates to Satan. Do you understand that? You should never relax your defenses against him. You should never tell God, no, I think I'm good today. And that's exactly what we've done. And the Bible says that the deeper and closer we get to the end time, the more prevalent and powerful Satan's going to be because we give him that power. And the more prevalent power he has, the more our defenses need to be up. It'd be like Captain Curtin saying, no, nah, I think, Scotty, go ahead and drop them shields. We don't need them. Not happening. Right? Shields up. Now, when it does and Satan attacks, here's what happens. We're not ready. Have you ever been unready when Satan attacked? Anybody? Who, who's been unready when Satan attacks? Okay, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. How, how, how did that happen? Because you dropped your defenses, didn't you? You dropped your defenses. Sometimes he'll attack and you'll win, feel all confident, and he'll come right back, boom, right away, and get you with another one. Boy, he's good at that. It's almost like he knew that you were going to do that because he did. And, and you think you're strong, and he gets you again. It's almost like when the Bible says that the demon gets cast out, it goes and gets seven more and comes back again. Right? Uh, I, I really believe he comes with more help. Anybody? He brings more demons to you. Right? You don't have to be possessed for that to happen. He comes. He, Satan goes to war ready. You understand that? And so what happens is Satan starts to win some battles, and that's never good for us now, is it? And you know, friends, you know, he, he, Satan's, he, he, he's, he's subtle. He's sneaky. Anybody believe he's sneaky in here? Subtle? Yeah. He, he doesn't like this a bit. You know, you know, he's, you know he's standing in the corner going, mm-hmm, I got you, bro. But he, don't, he, don't, he, he got you, too. Anybody that's agreeing with this and, and whose shields are starting to raise, whose awareness and readiness is starting to raise, he says, I got you. I'm coming. And he, I think right now he's sending for more help. What do you think? Now, we don't want to hear that, but we better be ready for it. Amen? Remember, he masquerades as an angel of light. Doesn't he? And, and then we always become spiritually complacent over time we we just always do i, I can't put my finger on why because when i do it i can't figure out why but we do we become spiritually complacent and of course that breeds a whole host of other human beliefs and emotions because complacency brings 
a couple of things. One of them is self-satisfaction. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, that only goes so far. And then it brings false confidence. You ever notice that? Spiritual complacency breeds false confidence in you. And then you're in trouble. And then comes this terrible, sinful thing called self-righteousness. And we've all had it. And we've all used it. And we've all counted on it, too. Right? When we disagree with everybody else who told us we're having a problem. No, no, no. You're the one that's the problem. I'm just fine. And Satan's like, yeah, you're just fine. <laughs> and I'm going to put my arm around you and tell you that while I'm bringing 75,000 demons to come mess with you. Now, now, doesn't that sound like something he would do? Because he does do it. He does do that. And so what happens then after this self-righteousness, uh, uh, now we start to become spiritually lazy. <laughs> we're, we're just spiritually lazy. Do you, do you know that? That's when we stop praying. For, see, we only, we only seem to want to pray fervently when we've got a serious problem. That's when we pray. We pray when we've got a problem. That's when we really pray. Now, we pray a lot, sure. And probably we pray every day. But here's the thing. You only become strong in your defenses and pray fervently when you're in a battle. Other than that, you probably don't. That's when the spiritual laziness comes in after all these other things, right? That's when it happens. Self-satisfaction, false confidence, self-righteousness. And now we're like, oh, you know, <laughs> not realizing that the Bible is clear that he, he, he prowls around, Satan does, like a lion, right, looking to devour Whoever he can. And this week, I, it, he, it was me. He really tried to devour me this week. And I knew he wasn't going to win. But he sure felt like it at times. I felt like, you know, I felt like Moses. I was getting tired. I was getting tired. And I knew this message was coming. And I thought, Lord, I, 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 I don't have the strength for that. How can I tell them if I don't feel it? And God said, well, you can't. But I, I can. And last night in this facility, right, Jonathan? We nearly didn't have internet at all today, at all. And I was angry, and I was mad, and I went home and I told my wife, "I'm I'm mad at horn." Because I and I, rec I I knew didn't I? I told her, I know who it is. I know exactly who it is. I know why too. This is something I shouldn't struggle with. I know how to do this. This, I, I, this is what I do. I'm good at it. And I said, I, I see you. I know who you are. Get behind me. And I felt like he giggled at me. You see, because here's when, when the laziness comes in, friends, here's what happens. When, when the spiritual laziness comes in, it's pretty obvious from there what happens. We immediately start down this path of moral degeneration. And unfortunately, it happens through unspiritual and unbiblical beliefs and practices. That's when all this other, these other alternative ways start coming in. We become self-centered and spiritually dry. That's what happens. And then the devil... Has, has us exactly where he wants us, right? And when we should be seeking God and fervently praying, we're just too dejected to do it. We know something wrong. We might not know exactly what it is. Sometimes we know exactly what it is, but we're just not going to deal with it, doggone it. 
And so we look at alternative ways to fix it. Some people go out and shop and make themselves feel better. Some people want, you know, eat. Some people do. We find all sorts of things that make us feel better. But that doesn't do away with the problem, you see. Now, of course, in our own minds and beliefs, we thought everything out, and we think we're right and strong. Everybody else is the problem. It's not us, you know. Have you ever done that? I thought this out. Doggone it. I'm right. They're not. Tell me you haven't done that. And yet, the Word of God warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. You see, we shouldn't have to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why, then, do we need spiritual victory? By now, it ought to be obvious. Well, let's just start with the obvious then. First of all, we've got to have spiritual victory due to the, the aggressiveness of Satan. Have you ever noticed how aggressive he is? We don't always, you see, here's the thing. We let up on the gas, Satan doesn't. You know, we're afraid or we're complacent or we're lazy or we're self-righteous or self-centered or whatever the, the, it happens to be. And I remember in Days of Thunder when, you know, uh, Trickle tried, had to get back in the race car and, and there was a crash and he'd already nearly been killed in a crash a year before. And now here he is in this race and there's a crash and there's smoke and he can't see. And his, his uh, coach is telling him, go high and keep your foot on the pedal on the floor and drive through it. You can drive through it and trickle. You can, he takes his foot off the gas. He's afraid. He's afraid because he doesn't know what's going to be on the other side of that smoke. It might be another car there and it might kill him. And it could be a gazillion reasons as to why we take our foot off the gas spiritually, but we're afraid or we're complacent or we're confused or we're dejected or we're oppressed. There's a gazillion reasons why it happens. And God said, put your foot on the gas, give me the wheel, and I'll get you through. You can drive through those wrecks, and I'll get you to victory. That's a fact. I'll get you there. You keep your foot on the gas. You hear me? And we're like, I don't know, God. We, we keep reaching for the pedal, for the, for the brake pedal. And sometimes some people drive with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake pedal. Don't ever do that. But a spiritual, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing, too. Have you noticed that? Now, friends, I personally, personally believe in a personal devil. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus said, He who has what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Okay? Now, you might ask, well, why do you believe in a personal devil? Well, the, one of my heroes, Reverend Billy Sunday, who was a major league baseball player, played for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Philadelphia A's, when the A's were in Philadelphia. Uh, he gave up baseball in the middle of his career in order to be the most influential Christian evangelist in the beginning of the 20th century. In fact, where I grew up in Warsaw, Indiana, there's a tabernacle named after him at Grace College. And Sunday was once asked at a revival, why do you believe in a real devil? And Sunday said, First, the Bible declares it to be so, and second, I have done business with him myself. You see, friends, this is why I believe in a personal devil. I've done business with him. Okay? I've done business with him. In fact, he continues to attack me personally. Whether I feel like I'm weak or strong. 
Whether I'm in ministry or I'm in leisure time, he still attacks. He's good at it. He's trying to dissuade me from going to prayer, spending time with God, and looking at the victory and the checkered flag that's just ahead if I'll put my foot on the gas and, and let God do the driving. You see what I'm saying? That's what he tries to do. Now, I know he attacks the church and Christians in general, but he has no problem with attacking us as individuals either. Have any of you noticed that? He has a long reach, and he uses the demons who rebelled with him to attack, separate, confuse, and discourage. And I got news for you. Most of them are in the abyss. Most of them got thrown in the abyss. So a, a short, small number of them were allowed to roam the earth with him. And if he can do that with the small amount that God allowed him to keep out, what do you think is going to happen when God lets them all out? Can you even fathom that? That's a sermon you know. Yeah. Now, I believe that he's aggressive. 1 Peter 5, 8, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Uh, this, this, is, this is interesting to me. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A final word. Now, this is the second part. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies. See, he thinks this out. The strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Now, this is the New Living Translation. Of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in the dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Okay, now that's, boy, we could go into that. One day I'm going to teach on that. I'm going to tell you something, friends. That means he's everywhere, including in the heavenly places. Well, I thought he got kicked out. Yes, but there's more to it. Not going to go there today. But you see where he's at. He's accusing us to God himself. Okay. And you know what? He can. Because he's right. He's right a lot. When he, I believe when he goes to God, he, he tells some falsies. But he couldn't really accuse me to God and, you know, if, if I wasn't doing some of that stuff. God would say no. No, no, no. And you know what, what, what really hurts me is that he's accusing me, and God doesn't say, no, he's not doing it. Jesus said, yeah, but I died for that. Christ has to invoke his death and victory over me because I'm still doing it. Oof. Sheesh. Have, you, have you considered that? Now, clearly, God wants us to know how aggressive and powerful Satan is, for he warns us to watch out and to put on the armor. And it's also clear that Satan, my friends, is most aggressive when we're, taking, when we're making great progress in our spiritual maturity and in our spiritual, spirituality, our personal spirituality. That's when he really is aggressive. That's when he really begins to work hard. I'll tell you something else, friends. I believe he is behind every anti-Christian plan and every action. He is behind every anti-Christian plan and anti-Christian action. Every one of them. Ephesians 2.22, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. <laughs> Listen to this version. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I put those two together for this reason. To this end, I believe Satan to behind 
he's behind communism. He's behind socialism. He's behind uh, any form of government that takes away basic human rights and freedoms. I believe he's behind all of our rising crime, our drug addictions, our substance abuses, and our alcoholism. I believe he's behind all the dangerous cults and false religions, the false religious sects in the world today, including witchcraft, demonism, Wicca, and all the other false religions that masquerade as Christianity. And I'm not afraid to call it out. Every single one of those parts with Christianity somewhere. They're one. Uh, you might know somebody who's a good person that practices this stuff, but I'm telling you, they're not Christian. And yes, I can prove it, and so can you. I believe he is behind this epidemic of violence, including taking the lives of innocent people to prove a point, child abuse, spousal abuse, parental abuse, and look at the massive rise in suicide these days, particularly in our teenagers, where the sanctity of human life is no longer taken deeply or seriously. In fact, kids seem to want to embrace this as some sort of desirous and wonderful thing. Do I even need to mention the travesty of abortion today? Satan is behind, <laughs> he's even behind Christians embracing practices that are clearly forbidden in the Word of God. Satan has completely redefined three godly terms that come from the Word of God, that come from God Himself. Those terms are grace, mercy, and love. He has completely redefined them. He has redefined these to satanic and human standards, so much so that many people don't really know what true Christian obedience and practice really is anymore. That's a fact, friends. And I'm not blowing smoke here. I'm telling you. I'm watching it happen before my very eyes. Worse, these falsehoods are being taught in churches and even from the pulpit. Somewhere. Do you know what really crushes me? This is what really crushes me. I don't have anybody in mind, and I'm not accusing anybody, but I know what's happening. Certain pastors know these things that their people are believing are wrong. They know it. But they'll say, well, what am I supposed to do about it? They're so afraid of upsetting people. They're so afraid of stepping on toes. They're so afraid of offending somebody. Or sometimes they're simply afraid of losing people and their tithes from their churches. So they won't touch these subjects, nor will they correct anyone. And you know, and then just pastors. Lay people do it too. Lay people do it too. Now, of course, God is going to have something to say about all this. Don't you think? It's not going to go unaddressed, I assure you. Because the Bible's clear about that, isn't it? Yes, my dear friends, I will say it, that Satan is certainly powerful enough to guide our society, so much so that he is behind every single ungodly and unbiblical issue that we deal with. But it isn't that difficult to do when people are more than willing to give him that power. Really? And because this is true, there's something else. There is this increase of worldliness within the church. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a legalist. I've never been a legalist. I, I have fought legalism in the church my entire pastoral career. Mainly because God could use me to do it because I didn't grow up in a church like that. 
but I grew up in a church the other way. I grew up where we didn't talk about holiness. I grew up in a church where you, there wasn't this set of rules, really. They might have been there, but I didn't know about them. And to tell you the truth, friends, both sides are dangerous. Okay? But I'll tell you what I do know. There is way too much compromise in the church with the world. That's what I know. James 4.4, 4, New Living Translation says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, that's the Apostle Paul talking. For one, not only do people not want to hear it, Christians don't want to hear it. Christians don't want to hear it. When the Word of God is taught and preached truthfully, people say they feel like they're being scolded and they, 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 they resent it. I've even heard them say, I felt like the pastor beat me up today. Well, I don't go to church to get beat up. I, somebody actually said that to me. To me. In Ezekiel, the second chapter, the first eight verses, listen to what God tells Ezekiel. He says, stand up, son of man. I want to speak with you. The spirit came into me as he spoke, and then he sat me on my feet. I listened carefully to his words. Son of man, he said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Now, that nation is the Christian church today. Okay? You, you, you grasp this, right? Okay? I'm sending you to them who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are a stubborn and hard-hearted people. But I am sending you to them to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels. At least they will now know that they had a prophet among them, because you stood. Son of man, do not fear them and do not fear their words. Don't be afraid even of their threats surround you like the nettles and the briars and the stinging scorpions. Do not be dismayed by their dark scowls even though they are rebels. In other words, that's an oxymoron. You're scowling, but you're the rebel. That's what God's saying. You must give them my messages, whether they listen or whether they don't. But they won't listen. He's telling them already. They won't listen. For they are completely rebellious. Son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not join them in the rebellion. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. <laughs> this is what he gave him. Revelation talks about the scroll. At first it was sweet, and then it was bitter, and then it made his stomach sick. You understand? Wow. What he told Ezekiel, Jesus prophesied back in Revelation again. This is, this is insane. You know why? Because it's for all time. It's been happening for all time. It happened in the Israelite nation. It's happened in, in those who have become the Israelite nation. That's the church. You see, my friends, to this end, some in the church would compromise the truth to gain friendship with the world. Again, James 4.4. No wonder we don't have any time for additional services. No wonder we don't have time for Bible studies. No wonder we don't have time for our small groups. Right, Mandy? She's struggling to get people in small groups. I can't figure that out. For the life of me, I can't. It's only going to make you better. It's only going to get you closer to God. It's only going to get people around you who can help you, who we struggle together, but we encourage one another, rebuke when necessary. The, see, if you're not in a small group, I'm going to tell you again, shame on you. 
Hey, don't be mad at me. I'm the messenger. That's all. Just like Ezekiel, I'm just the messenger, friends. I, I, listen, would I ever say anything to you that wouldn't help you? Would God ever use me to do that? Would God ever teach you something that wouldn't help you? You see, we're too busy using our time to do other things, which society says is exactly what we should do. God said otherwise. And way too many young families are drinking this Kool-Aid. Now, I'm not picking on young families, but I realize I've been there with children, and I know how tough it is. Believe me, I know. When you have kids at four different ballparks at the same time, let me tell you, been there, more than done that. But here's what happens. Yes, it's even Christian families in the church. It's a shame we have to get much older with most of our lives already lived before we realize the error and the danger of this. Okay? Now, you, 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 I'll tell you, this, this is interesting because the reason why there's no Bible Story Cafe uh, online tonight is because I recorded it, but there was no voice in it. There was no sound. And I talked about this specifically in it. <laughs> Satan did not want people to hear that today. If anybody's going to tell me Satan didn't do that because there's, there's nothing wrong with the equipment, there's nothing wrong with the program, John can't figure it out, I can't figure it out, why was there no sound? I recorded something immediately right after it. It's just fine. Don't tell me that's not him. Okay? Here's what happens. You've lived most of your lives. You've gotten older. You, now you realize the error and the danger, but by then you can't take it back and you can't change it. Your kids have grown. They've had their own kids. And you know what ha has happened? We've taught them to do the exact same thing. And so the cycle continues to the glee of the devil. More than that, people need to understand that the preaching of the cross is offensive to the world. Why? Because it causes them to have to change, and let's face it, we might embrace some change, but we really don't like it. You see, we only want to change when it suits us. We only want to change when we think change is necessary and when we feel like it. And friends, when there are things... When there are things about yourself that clearly don't line up with Scripture, like the fruits of the Spirit or the commands of the Word of God, when we believe ourselves to be so right, because we thought it out, that we're defensive over our own thoughts and we see other Christians as totally wrong, well, something is wrong. And it likely isn't those who are trying to tell you. Amen? And who among us is, is brave enough and transparent enough to admit that that was you sometime. Amen. Right? Yes. Come on. You at home, raise your hand. You know why? Because you've done it. Yeah. Mecca, online, good night. I, listen, I, I, again, I, told, I would put both hands up and both feet, but I, you know, right? I've done it. I know I've done it. I have. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm thinking it's probably going to happen again. First Peter 2, 6 to 8, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they will not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. You see, according to Peter, not only is the preaching 
in the teaching of the cross offensive to the world, apparently it's also offensive to many Christians. Apparently, it's offensive to Christians. In addition to this, godly living is going to bring persecution from the world. You, you, you do know that, right? I think sometimes we sort of kind of go under the radar. We kind of sneak in, well, I'm going I'm I'm to live godly, but I, don't, I hope nobody notices it. Really? We, we don't want people to notice it so that they won't ridicule us. They won't quit being our friends. They won't laugh at us, be mean to us. So we're going to live Christian, godly living this way. And God says, did my son live his life that way? Or did he do out for everybody to see, including the Pharisees, even the ones that goaded him while he's on the cross? Really? But what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Do you see this contrast here? Amen. You think this isn't really happening? It's happening. Big time. Wow. 2 Timothy, Paul says in verse, or chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Perhaps that's the reason, my friends, that these so-called Christians don't really want to live a godly life. I, I, I had to think about this for a second because Paul really, really opened my eyes here. And I've read this, uh, I don't know how many times. Jay and I studied it together. Uh, I, we did, and we've done it uh, in, in, a, in other groups before. And I'm telling you, friends, I, 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 it just hit me this way. Maybe it isn't simply a time issue or a conflict between God's will and human will. Maybe that's not what it is. I, I, that's what I label it usually. I, I, I accuse people of that indirectly by saying, well, they just don't want to give up their time. And that's probably true for some. Maybe it is a war of the wills. I, I, it's been a war of the will with me and God before. I suspect it is. But maybe it isn't a refusal to change either. Maybe they simply don't want to stand out. Perhaps they don't want to appear radical. Maybe they don't want to be called a bigot, which an unbelieving society and wayward Christians will certainly call them. I'm telling you, if you live a Christian life the way God says you should, somebody is going to call you a bigot. I assure you they will. Because that's how they label it. Maybe they're afraid of losing some of their friends. Maybe they're afraid of being shunned by various groups of certain people. Again, all of this, my friends, to the glee of the devil. Now, societal norms and worldliness in the church is very dangerous, my friends. Thirdly, there is this prevalence of indifference in the church, and this might be the most dangerous one. And, and, and let me tell you why. It's becoming more difficult to move people with the word of God. Have you noticed that? It's becoming increasingly difficult to move people with the word of God. 2 Timothy 5, uh, 3, 5 to 8, 4, 1 to 5. And particularly, I'm just going to read this part. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. And Jay and I, remember this, Jay? This, listen to this. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth, and they will chase after myths. Of course, you and I know that that's happening today, right? I mean, if you don't, if you don't know that's happening today, then I, I question your spirituality. I question if you're really saved. I question if you're really a Christian. It isn't for me to say, but if you don't see this happening, 
then you're like, you're not, in my opinion, you know, attached to God's family. You're hanging on by a thread somewhere. You're, you're, you're not, right? You're not part of, of the family. You're, you're an acquaintance. You're not a friend of God. You're an acquaintance. I don't, friends, does anybody in here, does anybody listen? Do you really want to be an acquaintance of God or do you want to be a friend of God? Because if you're an acquaintance of God, you're a friend of the world. That's a fact. I, there, I, again, who says it? He does. You, you are. And you know what Paul's talking about here? Is he talking about unbelievers? No. He talking to the church. He talking about people in the church. And we're seeing it happen before our very eyes. And I want to ask you a question. How can we have all these different opinions about what being a Christian is or about all these social issues that, that are facing us that divide us, I dare say, and yet the Bible is completely clear about them? Answer me that. I mean, I, I go to the Batman movie, I say, riddle me this, riddle me that. <laughs> right? It's a rhetorical question. Everybody knows. You're going to remember that, see? I'm learning, friends. I really am. I'm learning. This, you know, the only riddle here is what Satan makes it. It's not a riddle. It's in plain view. Okay? It's in plain view. The Bible is clear about these social issues. So how can we as Christians have a war among us about them? I get it when we war with the world. They don't know. They don't understand, and they certainly won't accept. But the Christian church? How does that happen when the Word of God says it? All you got to do is read Romans 1. Right there it is. Paul says this right up. God has made himself evident to everyone for all time, and people, every one of them, will be without excuse. Read it. It's right there. We're playing a game with ourselves, and Satan's going, again. There he is. You see, friends, it's more difficult to get people to stand for God and God's ways. It's increasingly difficult to do that. You know, all you got to do is look at Exodus 32 and look at Elijah in 1 Kings 18 to 21. You know, it says that they answered him not a word. When Elijah talked, when Elijah talked to the people, they did not oppose his, his program for revivalism. Neither did they uh, make any statement in favor of adultery. They stood unconcerned and not willing to stand for God. That's exactly what happened. This is exactly what many Christians are doing today. Again, they're in Christian in name only, in my opinion. God's going to prove to them one day that they never were. But for now, they're playing the game, and they're going to lose it. And I'm not, I'm not buying. Because Christian people don't act like this. They don't. I couldn't, could you? Not based on what I read, I couldn't do it. Now you can call me black and white Dan all you want. But I want to stand on the side of God. Every time, all time. I want to know that I know that I know. That's what I want to know. But you see, friends, we're afraid to make waves. We don't want to offend anybody. I believe, friends, this is one of the great sins of the church, indifference. You cannot ride the fence. You cannot stand on the sideline when it comes to the kingdom of God, and that's exactly what people are doing. Jesus was very clear about that, and Bishop, we're going there. And yet, we want to keep silent. We want to stay in the middle of the road. Friends, God is not in the middle of the road. His bar is so much higher than that. I think God is telling the church today, 
pick a side and stay on it. Pick a side and stay on it. I think he is. Well, you, I'll let you decide. Revelation 3, 15 to 16. I know all the things you do. Now, this is Jesus. Listen to Christ speaking here. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. And so my question, friends, what in the world are we afraid of? Why will we not take a stand for God? I'm asking you, why will we not? I mean, doesn't the Bible say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, it absolutely does. So the question is, do you really believe that? Do you trust God? And if you do, and the answer is yes, then what's the problem? The problem is, you want to stay in the middle of the road. God says, no, pick a side and stay on it. Fourthly, moving quickly, we have this epidemic of spiritual defeat. You see, believers are slaves of worldly habits. We are puppets of evil lusts, and we're puppets of evil desires. That's fact. I mean, right? You, I, do I need to reiterate that? Do I need to explain it? I don't think so. There are a gazillion scriptures. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, Colossians 3, 5, Matthew 5, Jesus talking, 27 to 28. And here's the thing. Even with all of these scriptures, with all these passages, we still don't seem to get it. But it's happening all around us. Christians falling right and left, Amen. dropping like flies. Now let's forget for a moment the pastors, the priests, and the spiritual leaders who have fallen. I mean, it's happening. But I want to set that aside just for a second. I don't want to excuse it. It's happening. But, but I, I want to focus because... When we think of Christians falling, that's, that's, that's the people we look at. Oh, no, 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 no. Lay people are falling like flies, too. It's just not reported and looked at like that. We don't notice it as much. One of my favorites who recently died has been accused of sexual misconduct that breaks my heart, Ravi Zacharias. And there's evidence, hard evidence. Do you think that doesn't hurt me? That crushes me. And do you think Satan is going, yeah, I knew all the time. He stood up and made a case for all these things, and, and boy, people couldn't stand against him. But now, everything he said, <laughs> worthless. I'm grateful that I took what he said because it's truth, okay? And no matter what he became, I know what he was, too. I believe he just fell, okay? But I'm going to tell you something, friends. What about the throngs of lay people, ordinary Christian people who are falling? Whether, whether they have been found out or not. What about that? You see, you have to remember what Jesus said about falling in your own mind. All you got to do is look and entertain the thought. You've fallen, haven't you? But somehow we discount that because I didn't go through with it, you know. What difference does it make? That's not righteousness. That's not godly living. That's not godly thought process. Right? And I, don't you want to give God your absolute best? You see, believers are poisoned with jealousy. They retain grievances, and we have unforgiving spirits. This is in the church now. Unforgiving spirits in the church. Ephesians 4, 30 to 20, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. I'm not going to read them. They're there. You look at yourself. Again, look at the situations where this stuff is prevalent in the church. The church. Friends, why can't we just love God? Why can't we just love one another? And why can't we just be servants? Why? 
Because self is so prevalent. Self comes through almost every time. And when you can't get your way or you can't control something, you know what's going to happen? Self will say, yes, you can. Yes, you should. And God's like, did my son do that? If anybody had a right to say, I don't deserve this. This isn't right. It was him. Paul even said it. If anybody had a right, I was a Pharisee. I was the son of a Pharisee. But I surrender anyway. <laughs> you see, friends, we need a victory over the flesh that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You know, friends, if we're doing this, if we're really doing that, we would have victory all the time. We wouldn't deal with the sinful nature nearly as much as we actually do. Amen. Have you noticed that? And lastly, there's this alarming degree of fruitlessness among Christians. We're just kind of coasting. My kids and my grandkids, when I play with them with their bicycles or wagons or go-karts or when we lived in northern Indiana in the snow, like to warm me out, push me faster, push me harder. Make, you know, and, of course, you, 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 you are gas. <laughs> Nobody likes to coast. We want, we want power and speed until it comes to our spirituality. Now we want to coast. Oh, yes. Am I right, Billy Boy? You see, these are, you're going to remember, you remember this, aren't you? This, why would you coast in your spirituality, but you want power and speed in everything else? You want drive. Every Christian ought to be able to say, I have witnessed, I have prayed, and I have cried for souls. You see, we're saved, friends, not to fill a pew on Sunday morning. And certainly not to hold your coffee and fill a couch on Sunday morning either. Okay? I'm not saying if you, if you can't come to church, I get it. I'm glad you're tuning in. But God wants you in the fellowship of believers. And as soon as, as, soon as God kicks this COVID thing, you'll be back. <laughs> right? And we congregate together. Yeah? And we're going to show the devil that spiritual victory comes for those who keep their foot on the gas and drive through those wrecks. That's what happens. Okay? You are not to fill a pew, but to be a channel through which the Holy Spirit can win others to Christ. There's a gazillion scriptures, but look at Acts 2, 4 to 6. These people were filled, and they witnessed because of the filling. And whatever else was going on didn't really matter. I don't think they cared who was around and watching. And, and you know the Pharisees are watching. You know that, that, that the people against them were watching. And the people are going back and telling what was going on. They didn't care. Now, true, we're living in days of evil apostasy. I get it. But I believe that many sinners can say, as David did when he was chased by Saul, no man really cares for my soul. True, but Jesus does. Christ does. He does care for the soul, and he alone can make the difference, but he alone can do only that which delivers us into his presence, which means he's the only one that can deliver the unsaved. But we have to deliver the unsaved to him. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that delivery. Yeah, I know I spent a lot of time on delivery, but I'm going to tell you something, friends. I did it for a reason, because I wanted you to see how much we spend our time worrying about delivering for our own selves. And what God wants you to do is deliver people into his presence. 
That's what he really wants to do, you see. And if you think about it, you're all about delivery, but not necessarily in your spirituality. And God's wanting to change that, you see. And I have to tell you something. The church needs a hard reset. We needed this hard reset. It's painful, but we needed it. God has delivered the means for it to happen. We've had a hard reset here at FLCC. And you know what I think? It stinks, but let's make the best of it. Let's build the church that God wants. Let's build the church God intends, right? It will take all of us, even those that God hasn't even sent to us yet, right? God's going to send us some people. He's going to continue to do that. Why? Because we're speaking the truth. I don't think gimmicks or certain programs are going to really, they might help. But I believe if we continue to speak the truth from the pulpit, from our Sunday school classes and our small groups, in our, in, in our service, everything, if we speak the truth, you can't deny that. People will come to that. It'll be a slow growth, but it'll be a solid growth. See, this, this is what we're looking for. And as our worship team comes, time is short. And, and Scotty, you can go ahead. Emeka. But time is short because the church is losing spiritual sensitivity. But that's what the enemy wants, isn't it? Time is short because Jesus is coming again. Time is short because people die without the gospel in their hearts. I have hope for the church because our hope, friends, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is, so we are in the world. If he's in the world because we are. Do you understand that? That's the only reason he's here. It's because we are. The time is now that we are to present ourselves to him for his usefulness. And if we build the altar, he will send the fire. Okay? Embrace the hard reset. And thank God he has given us this chance, this opportunity, and the means to fix what was wrong, to improve what was simply okay, and have a brand new opportunity for greatness. Because this is why we need spiritual victory. Hold your foot on the gas and drive through those wrecks. As the coach said, I know it, I know it in my heart. And it, you see in the movie, he gets through it, he goes, ha ha, I'm out of here. Shifts into high gear, I'm gone. You see, two things are going to happen with the devil. He gone, and with you and I, we gone too. We gone to heaven. Amen? We gone. I'm excited. Stand with me today. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.